Well, hello. I won't ask you what's new. I expect uh, some ambient noise, so please forgive in advance. Also, some um, almost certainly some glitches as I have uh, uh, pretty much completely forgotten how to use GarageBand in the interim. My brother Damien was super little when we made this big trek to Sioux City, Iowa, when my cousin on my dad's side was born, so we could go to her baptizing ceremony. My parents both came from Catholic families, but had stopped going to church when they moved away from home, and raised Damien and I as, I guess, sort of hippie agnostic, that there certainly was a God, but God wasn't specifically male or female, and God did not have agents on earth telling you what you could or couldn't do and that all religions had validity, and the problems came when people tried to use them the wrong way. My dad got very excited after we all saw Star Wars when that first came out and tried to impart to us that the Force was really God, and Darth Vader was an example of the corruptive potential of religion. And for years and years after that, when we went to church services with friends or the grandparents, my brother thought that the priests that used the big, long metal snuffers to extinguish the tapered altar candles were, in fact, wielding lightsabers. So my parents took the days leading up to the baptism trip as an opportunity to explain what baptism was and what it meant, and symbolism versus faith versus worldly reality. I think you'll find this passage by Joseph Campbell interesting, my dad would say, and Damien and I would haul ass out of the room to find my mom and ask her if she didn't have any work for us to do. After we got to the big church, we sat through the ceremony while my baby cousin screamed and hollered as my aunt and the priest held her over and splashed her from a tall bird bath, and we stood up and knelt down about a thousand times, and then people started standing up row by row and filing down the center aisle to the altar area in front, where they knelt down and took communion. My brother logically assumed that this was the church equivalent to preschool Kool-Aid and Cracker Time and got up to join the line in the aisle. My grandpa patted him to sit down. You can go, sport, he whispered. Why? Damien demanded. Because, Grandpa explained, you have not been baptized. This, of course, was no kind of explanation as far as my brother was concerned. All he knew was other people were getting crackers, and he wasn't. And he had had to sit and stand for about 30 minutes. And he'd had to put on a little suit and tie. And if Mr. Rogers had taught him anything about fairness, this was not it. Now, one trick my brother had that lost all effectiveness with my parents, but which was still new for the grandparents, was... He could hold his breath and huff outwards and puff out his cheeks and turn a frightening reddish purple in an alarmingly short amount of time, which is what he proceeded to do. Oh, my God, shouted my grandpa. Knock it off, my dad said calmly. Damien exhaled all his air in a big pissed off rush. I want crackers, he said in a firm, low voice. We'll have Nilla wafers back at the house. How would that be? My grandma said good naturedly. Crackers! My brother shouted, making whole pews of old ladies in front of and behind us jump up with alarm. One more sound, my dad said, and that was all he needed to say because he was also giving the full strength dad look, so my brother slumped down in the pew and kicked his little legs back and forth angrily, but didn't make another sound. When the service was over, there was a mad jumble of people with my aunt and uncle and freshly baptized cousin standing up at the front with the priest and his helpers and people going over there to talk to them and look down at the baby and some people moving toward the back exit down the middle or around the sides. I went running over to a carpeted staircase that led up to the balcony so I could peek over the edge but halfway up I got a big wave of shyness so I chickened out and ran back down and by that time almost all the parishioners had cleared out except my extended family 
and a few others, and my mom cornered me and said, I think your brother ran outside. Go find him, and then here are the keys. You guys can wait in the car. Outside the church, my brother was running into clusters of small birds on the ground, sending them up into flapping clouds. Mom says we should wait in the car, I told him. Damien turned and walked toward me, smiling. The front of his button-up shirt was saturated. Are you hot? Are you sweating? I asked him. You're all wet. Nope, Damien said happily. I'm baptized. While the priest and parents were distracted, Damien had run up to the altar and splashed water on his own face with two cupped hands. Next time, he informed me smugly, I get crackers. My brother today hates this story because it sounds like, as he puts it, a goddamn family circus cartoon, which is a valid point. Now, Damien decided in the days and weeks after this event that his auto-baptism meant not only did he get into heaven and get crackers and juice on earth, but it also had bestowed unto him superpowers. We'd be standing on the big wraparound front porch of our house, and Damien would say, Dear God, please let me jump over this patch of tiger lilies and not get hurt. Amen. And then he'd curl his body, rather hurl his body, off the porch, over the flower bed, and land and roll and pop up, raising his arms above his head in triumphant, Rocky-style spiritual victory. He also practiced eating with his eyes closed, though how exactly that was a superpower was unclear. He baptized his good guy action figures under running water, in the bathroom and then had them say prior to combat, dear God, please let me kill Skeletor. Amen. And then the still wit He-Man would unleash a torrent of plastic righteousness whoop ass. My parents viewed this as just a fairly entertaining phase, but it was frankly all starting to irritate me. Eventually, Damien's zeal began to wane, probably coinciding with his baptized state not protecting him at all from a mob of fire ants hidden in the sandbox. But the fervor was rekindled anew one springtime visit to the zoo with the Donnelly family. The Donnellys were a nice couple that lived in a farmhouse up the road. They were in between my parents' and grandparents' age and had about six kids who were a wide age age range and freakishly well-behaved. They were kind of like the Von Trapp kids in Sound of Music. We would go to their house to watch the Donnellys TV if something like Charlie Brown Holiday Special was on. And we also collected eggs from their chickens whenever we could, because it was completely exhilarating on so many levels. First of all, you didn't know what you were going to find underneath a chicken. It might be nothing. It might be one egg. It might be a couple eggs. When you hit the mother load, it was amazingly exciting. And then you had to be really, really careful with the eggs because eggs are delicate. Then added to that was the fact that there were way more of the chickens than there were of you. And you knew they weren't crazy about you being there. And they'd be making their weird chicken noises and some would be walking around and some would be hopping from one level to the next. And all of a sudden, one would fling its arms out and go, and you felt like running and screaming and peeing, though not necessarily in that order. The zoo was about a four-hour drive away. And Mr. Donnelly had to stay and work the fields or whatever he did farm-wise. And my mom came along too as an additional chaperone. And we piled into the Donnelly's enormous Brady Bunch-style station wagon. All the littlest kids immediately fell asleep except my brother, who was telling one of the older Donnelly girls what he planned on seeing at the zoo. Bears, he said, and monkeys, and grizzly bears, and black bears, and squirrels, and lobsters. Don't you want to see the elephants, she asked him. Yeah, he said, and turtles, and rhinoceros, and orange monkeys. Then we all fell silent because Mrs. Donnelly in the passenger seat while my mom drove was talking to herself, a low but audible animated monologue. Pardon me, she laughed when she had finished. I should have mentioned that's St. Jude's Prayer. Oh, wow, said my mom. I remember St. Jude's Prayer. Isn't that, 
you guys aren't in some kind of trouble. Well, what happened was maybe a month back, my wedding ring disappeared. Mrs. Donnelly told my mom, and it was an heirloom. It was passed down for more than 150 years, and the kids combed the whole farm. It's just gone. So I have to pray to St. Jude nine times a day for eight days, and then we'll see. St. Jude is the saint of lost causes or hopeless situations, the Donnelly girl explained to my brother and I in the back seat. St. Nick is the same thing as Santa Claus, Damien informed her. That's very good, she told him. Do you want me to teach you St. Jude's prayer? Yes, yes, my brother shouted, eager to bolster his baptism in vulnerability with a magic saint phrase that would make the saint do his bidding like a genie. Though he was super small, my brother has always been great with memorizing lines. And in a four-hour car ride, you can recite St. Jude's prayer a lot of times. So it was down cold for both of us by the time we pulled into the zoo parking lot. This is how St. Jude's prayer goes. May the most sacred heart of Jesus be adored, glorified, loved, and preserved throughout the whole world now and forever. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. St. Jude, worker of miracles, pray for us. St. Jude, helper of the helpless, pray for us. You say this nine times a day for a week and a day, said the Donnelly girl, and it always works. And then when your crisis is over, you pass the prayer on to someone else. I'll pray you get your ring back too, my brother told Mrs. Donnelly. Oh, 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 said every single awake person in the car, but he didn't fool me. I knew my brother well enough to know St. Jude was going to start getting messages from our house day and night asking for more ice cream, one more hour to stay awake, more toys, a zapping ray to kill sandbox fire ants, cupcakes with more frosting than anyone else, and so on. And sure enough, we weren't inside the zoo gates five minutes when I heard Damien muttering, finishing with St. Jude, helper of the helpless, pray for us and let me have a blue snow cone. That's not going to work. You have to say it for eight days if you were listening, I told him. And plus, you're not supposed to use the thing for ask, asking for stuff like that. Mom, my brother hollered, can I have a blue snow cone? Okay, but that's it till lunch, my mom called back. Damien turned to me and gave a huge grin. That proves nothing, I said. After a little while, some of the Donnelly kids wanted to go one way, and the others wanted to go another way, and the youngest kids were getting restless and fussy. So Mrs. Donnelly took one bunch of kids, and my mom took my brother and I and a few more Donnelly kids, and we all planned to meet Mrs. Donnelly back at the center of the zoo, which was the Pachyderm House, at four. Mom consulted one of the You Are Here maps to figure out the best route for maximum animal viewing potential. Pachyderm, do you know what that means? It means elephants and hippopotamus and rhinoceros, the older Donnelly girl told my brother. I know, my brother said. You did not know that, I told him. I did too, he said. Mom, he said. I want to see the rhino and the elephant. We're seeing them last, my mom told him. No, now, now, he said. We'll see them last. We'll see them just before we leave, my mom explained. Please now, he asked. No, last, my mom said firmly. Oh, St. Jude, may the most sacred heart of Jesus, said my brother. Forget it, kiddo, my mom interrupted. So now Damien started getting worked up into a progressively bad mood, partly due to the denial of immediate, immediate elephants and partly due to the long, long drive over, partly because he was all sticky from snow cone, partly because he saw some kid eating cotton candy and wanted that, but my mom said, no, you picked snow cone, now deal with it, but mostly because the zoo was proving to be a something of a letdown. There was exhibit after exhibit of different animals that looked like horses but weren't quite horses, and these were just not interesting to my brother. And then the really exotic animals, the lions and giraffes and so on, were either just lying there sleeping or too far away to see clearly. The monkey house perked him up a little again. 
But then the crankiness rushed back in full force when we had to hustle out all of a sudden because my mom realized it was minutes to four and we were a long stretch from the pachyderm meeting place. I want to see the orange ones, he said. The zoo doesn't have orangutans, sweetie, my mom told him with her last residue of patience. Now put a hustle on. We met up with the rest of the Donnellys coming up to the pachyderm house. They were all laughing and excited. Guess what we saw? Guess what we saw? They shouted. Mrs. Donnelly turned to my mother and rolled her eyes. Those horrible mandrels, she said, took it upon themselves to have a number two fight right in front of the kids. Two blue and yellow monkeys had a poop fight, shouted the Donnelly kids with glee. My brother was beside himself with jealousy. I want to go back to the monkeys, he declared. You wanted to see the rhinos and elephants, my mom reminded him. And we walked around to the side where the elephants were, but again, they were far, far away, and they were just standing and eating hay. A big commotion came from around at the entrance to the house itself. We all followed it. One of the rhinos had come inside and was standing in the corralled viewing area, which meant you'd be able to get right up close to it. But we were a little late, and by the time we get in, got in, the whole small, thickly smelly building was crammed with parents with their kids hoisted up on their shoulders, and we were stuck way in the back. My mom let my brother stand on a railing so he could kind of see, but it was still disappointing, and the crowd was clearly not going to move so long as the rhino was in there. The rhinos shuffled to the left. Oh, ooh, ooh, said the crowd. The rhino bent his head forward and nudged some straw with his horn. Ah, ah, yeah, said the crowd. The rhino shuffled around in a half circle, so he was facing away from the audience. Mmm, 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 said the crowd. The rhino twitched his little reptile-like tail back forth, back forth, and then let fly out a sudden shotgun explosion like a gargantuan spray of wet rhino crap, like a Gallagher concert gone horribly, horribly wrong, all over the first eight to ten rows of people. Ah, said the crowd, yay, screamed the Donnelly kids. And as bedlam ensued and park officials started running around an active crowd control and paper towel dispatch, I looked back at my brother on the rail. He had a smile on his face like the pearly gates themselves. The prayer, he told me confidently, so does work. And this isn't a prayer. This is just a little, it's just a, I don't know where you live or where you are, or what your circumstances are right now, but I know some stuff like I know that you are loved and valued and appreciated more than you even know. And you're doing enough right now. And that stories can go all over the place and be full of crazy things and still end up different than you feared and better than you expected. And that if somebody's telling some random goofball story and someone cares enough to listen, that's a friendship. And I'm truly grateful for yours. And also, don't flush Kleenex. I know it seems thin enough, but it will ruin your pipes. <laughs>